Welcome to The Future Strategist. Today, my guest is Greg Cochran, and we're going to be talking about the coronavirus. Uh, hi, Greg. How are you doing? Okay, so far. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how worried are you about the coronavirus? Some worried. I would – I don't know enough to be sure of uh, of the of the total risk, but it looks like it's at least possible that it could be pretty scary. Um, and what do you mean by pretty scary and what do you mean by possible? Um, pretty scary means that it has qualities so that it would be hard to stop from spreading to very large numbers of people and that the uh, – and dangerous enough to those people that uh, – you know, you know, much larger than normal uh, numbers of people would die this year, for example. So you mean compared to the flu? Or compared to all other causes of death, possibly. That's quite a lot. A lot of people die every year. Well, well a couple, couple of million so in the United States. Let's just, I mean, jump to the conclusion. What's your, you know, the 10% worst case, the worst case scenario that you think has about a 10% chance of occurring? How many deaths? There's a lot of uncertainty. In the United States? Uh, well, sure, U.S. and the world. I don't see why it couldn't, in a worst-case situation, be 50 million. That's the U.S. or the world? The world. Okay, good. That would have been <laughs> yeah, the that U.S. That's quite the end a, of civilization. That would oh, have been quite a hit. So 50 million, that's, that's quite horrible. I mean, that's... You know, what was 75 million died because of World War Two. So this is an enormous amount of misery. Um, it's certainly the media is mentioning this. But, you know, I'm watching the Sunday shows this morning and they're that's this is not the big thing. It's, you know, what the, the ads run against Pete Buttigieg. That's more important. Hey, at least you can pronounce his name. <laughs> uh, the uh, I mean, more than I can do any rate. uh uh, I think it's hard for people to take – I mean it's hard for people to, to, to understand this. Their intuition doesn't work very well on things that rapidly spread. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, uh, but I can think of many examples, some of which are – you know, including non-scary examples. They still can't understand it. Yeah, because as of today officially, 813 people have died. That's really far from – potentially 50 million it's so far that a lot what of people the, might be thinking Wait, what's wrong with this guy what was the number on january 1st i wonder uh 20 well yeah so uh, when things can spread and when they can grow geometrically the possibilities can get pretty high uh I mean, and also one reason you might see very large numbers is, after all, there are more people in the world than there used to be. There are probably more than – about about three times as many people around as there were in World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's easier to lose more if there are more. Yeah. And, of course, we're, we visit each other more. We fly all over the place. And Yeah, that uh, that's probably a factor in not so much – in um, you know causing this total size of it to be different, but speeding up the process, uh, jet travel. Uh, I mean, even in uh, times like uh, World War One, you know, to, you know, like 
we'll probably be mentioning the uh, 1918 flu, the, mm-hmm. the Spanish, Spanish flu, flu. Yeah. As, a, as a comparison in some ways. But even then, transportation was faster than it had been 100 years before. You had people traveling on, uh, uh, you know, steamboats, uh, you know, uh, which could, you know, cross the Atlantic in a, a week. You had, uh, lo- you know, people, lots of rail travel, uh, a little bit of car travel, but those first two are the important ones. And that speeded up the process compared to what it would have been 100 years earlier, where mm-hmm. the fastest things were, uh, you know, uh, sailing ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, I, part of the reason why, as you said, that people have trouble understanding this is people are intuition is more linear and not having things repeated regularly double. So there's this uh, story from, I think, Hindu mythology where there's a, a prince who, you know, is, is talking to a visitor and the visitor does something really impressive. So the prince says, name your reward. And the visitor says, one, one grain of rice. Yes. One grain. Just give me one grain of rice on the first square of a chessboard and then two on the second and four on the third and, you know, the eight and keep doubling. And then the prince is like, oh, that's easy. Okay, definitely. And tries to do it. And of course, it would completing it would require more grains of rice than there are atoms in the visible universe. So when you something like that, when you double, you know, it doesn't take that many doublings for us to reach everyone is infected. And that's how you can quickly go from, I think today, the official number of infected people is 37,592 <coughs> to having over a billion people infected. I don't know. Um, I don't know how realistic that infected number is. It's probably a conservative number. Uh, I mean, I think they're using test kits to diagnose people. But um, for example, you know, here's some useful numbers. I, for, there, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's something like 10 million people in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that means there are about 8,000 hospital beds altogether. Uh-huh. And uh, after a while, they're all full. And then there are still other people outside. And I don't think – I mean, I don't know how big this is because I don't have enough information. I know – I've heard some stories that sound perfectly accurate about people saying, I wanted to get into a hospital, but we waited and waited and waited and could not. And then my mother died, and so now I'm trying to get my father in, that sort of thing. I'm sure that happens. The question is how much it's happening. Uh, that I don't, I don't have enough information to tell. I mean, for example, it's quite possible – and there are serious epidemiologists who think this, that the vast, that the real number of those infected is vastly higher than the number that's been officially diagnosed. So what's uh, a good estimate? How many people? I don't know how to make a good estimate. I mean, I know it's unlikely to be less than what they've said. Could it be okay. over a million? Infected? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, one of those estimates, uh, I think, was this, they were estimating something like, like right now, the official numbers are like two or three thousand a day new infections. Mm-hmm. He thought it would be more. It's probably more like fifty thousand. Probably partly because uh, it's certainly it seems very likely that it's spreading in other parts of China rather than. And, I mean, for example, I believe they have now done similar lockdown uh, 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 rules in uh, Shenzhen, mm-hmm. uh, which is another very large number of people besides the first area. And. Uh, and we have some evidence from Singapore. I was just listening to the prime minister of Singapore saying, you know, most of their cases they have are, are, are it could be traced to someone from China. But there recently have been a small number of cases where they can't do contact 
contact tracing to China. And if it can spread in Singapore this quickly, it's probably spread <sighs> to... I mean, this Prime Minister Singapore didn't say this, but we can maybe infer if it's spread to Singapore, it's probably spread to pretty much everywhere in China. At least there's a few uh, people who have it. Does that make sense? Well, that, I think they've seen at least some cases in much of in many provinces of China. I don't know how far it's spread, but again, there's a time lag between the first in any infectious disease of this sort. First, you have some people. It takes a while to build up to a lot of people. But Singapore is significant for another reason. Two or three reasons. One is, you know, it's probably run about as rationally as anywhere on Earth. Uh, but that isn't. But it is also crowded, so it's probably not a super easy place to limit human contact. But another thing is, it's warm. Uh, sometimes uh, certain viruses, um, you know, they'll show regional or seasonal differences in how well they transmit. I mean, uh, regular influenza is something like that. Uh, it, you don't often see an influenza epidemic in the middle of the summer, although you did sometimes with the 1918 flu. But uh, people are wondering uh, if this particular virus will – I mean, maybe it won't prosper in, in, in warm times or warm places. But if it starts actually spreading significantly uh, – and I'll, I'll actually try to define that in a minute – in Singapore – well, Singapore is – quite close to the equator. What is it? Just a couple of degrees from the equator. Yeah. It's, it's warm. It rains all the time. Uh, if it can spread in Singapore, that might be a bad sign that it could spread in other tropical areas. Yes. And which, these, these viruses aren't supposed to spread as well when it's very humid. Is that right? Uh, that's what some people have suggested and they might be right, but you know, particular viruses have different patterns and we'll have to find out. I'm saying if it, if it had, Singapore is plenty humid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, but defining what I said, you know, the R naught, always an important no, number. Wait, what, it, what is the R naught for our listeners? How many new cases you get per case. So if you have one person and on average they infect two people, it, it tends to spread. So it, an R naught of two would mean, you know, someone is teleported into your town who has the disease. That one person will infect two other people before that person recovers. Is that uh, what it means? The net total over you know time is you'll get two more cases. Anyhow, the point is if that number is above one, the disease tends to spread. Uh, by the way, this number is not a fixed number. It depends upon the situation. It depends upon what people do. It depends upon what they are. So people uh, washing their hands regularly are. can at least slightly reduce r not. It might be significant. I don't know. But I know that uh, – like if people are very crowded together, R not tends to go up. For example, on that cruise ship, yeah, that's probably a good example. Uh, there are other cases where I mean, so, it right, might just for background for listeners who know that on there's something called the Diamond Princess cruise ship. They found someone who was infected, and now they're keeping everyone on the ship unless they get infected. Then they put them in isolation, and there've been a whole bunch of people on the ship that have been infected, which means it you know it can't be that hard to spread the disease at least in the cruise ship environment. Yeah, but the other thing is, remember, the r naught is, to, at least to some extent, situational. It can depend upon, uh, like, how many, uh, if you're, you know, the human density, how many uh, square foot per person in an office or, you know, various things like that uh, could vary. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, uh, but it's in, extremely important whether it's above one or below one. Now, if it's above one, in practice, it tends to spread. If it's below one... 
<clears throat> you actually can get some extra cases, but the number s stops after a while. So s suppose you had an R naught of uh, 0.9. Mm -hmm. You start out with uh, 10 cases, you will actually, you know, the total number you'd expect would be something like 100, but that still stops. Okay. But for example, so let's suppose in Singapore, they the case has been brought in from the rest of China. And let's suppose for the sake of discussion that 100 people have been infected in China and then ended up in Singapore. And if you have some new cases in Singapore, but not too many, for example, if that 100 people generates another 50, mm -hmm and that 50 generates another 25, then the series converges. At, it only affects a total of 200 people at the end of the story, and that means it doesn't hit everybody in Singapore. And if that were the case, it would be a, you know, a moderately reassuring piece of data that maybe this thing won't take off in some of the tropical parts of the world. So do we have estimates of what the R-naught probably is, at least in China? There are a number of estimates I've seen different people, I mean, from different kinds of epidemiologists uh, or different, uh, I think it ranges from something like, I've seen estimates, they're sort of in the range from two to four, some people on the high end, some on the low. Uh, it's, I suspect the, the four is closer, right, but I haven't done a, my own simulation to try to judge this. Now, the, we would expect the R-naught to eventually go down as more and more people get the, have the disease. And I imagine you get some immunity, at least, once you've had it once, right? Uh, most things people do, although there are exceptions. Most things, after you have it, you're either immune or dead, which is also safe for other people, generally. And uh, uh, it... Uh, you know, one way that works, whether we do anything or not, is if enough people have had it, then the fraction of people who are susceptible will eventually go down, again, assuming that you end up with immunity. So mm -hmm. if you get to the point where a third of the people who have had it, or let's say a half of everybody on Earth has had it, then uh, R not suppose R naught was two before. In practice, it's probably more like one because, you know, the fraction of people who are susceptible has dropped by half. So one way or another, it will eventually stop. Okay, so uh, even if R-naught is very high, there's an advantage to the individual to isolate himself before he's infected because it, you know, it, you could hopefully wait it out until the R-naught goes below one and then it dies out. So even if the R-naught is very high now, it, it sort of mathematically can't stay very high. Uh, well, it is actually possible that in some cases, I mean, look, we have flu viruses every year. Uh, I mean, one of the things they can do is they can, you know, find some part of the world where there's enough people who are susceptible. Also, by the way, if the virus changes, you know, the old immunities are not necessarily effective anymore. Whether that will happen with this, I mean, it might, but, you know, no way to tell. But, you know, like ordinary flus, they may migrate between the hemispheres. Again, they seem to work better in the winter, but that means they may be in Australia in our summer, uh, but they're still around. Uh, so it's not absolutely certain that it will go down to zero, but it could. But it's likely to go down to the point where it's not at least an epidemic. I mean, so, you know, a virus like this, sometimes it can actually completely disappear. There have been historical examples of very scary things that raced through certain areas, caused a lot of trouble. Maybe they did it twice, and then nobody ever saw it again. There, mm -hmm. So it, it is possible. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, but waiting it out is possible, 
but it probably works better if you if you're a lighthouse keeper or something. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, the longer uh, uh, the longer it takes to get to this point where there's not a lot of danger. I mean, obviously, the harder it is. Uh, there were people who managed it. Uh, actually, I heard of yet another group that managed it in, in, in the 1918 flu. Uh, in American Samoa, the naval governor, he, he knew he had advantages. He knew that it was out there because he had a radio. Mm -hmm. And he and also the locals had seen other epidemics be more severe than average for Polynesians. And so they were – they were afraid of it too, and everybody cooperated. They sealed off the island, and they got no cases at all. But they, that meant they had to be sealed off for well over a year. Okay, but at least theoretically, in the the best case scenario, where you're a small island, you can protect yourself from an epidemic. We know that uh, people who claim that that never works. That's not quite right, at least. It is difficult. Uh, it's but it also it requires certain like. American Samoa was self-sufficient food. You kind of have to be if you're going to seal off for a year or a year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, not everywhere could do that. I mean, Singapore could not do that. Yeah. I mean, unless it turns out the prime minister of Singapore or his father, the previous prime minister of Singapore, said, well, just in case I stored two years of food in the basement because I'm Lee Kuan Yew and I'm just like that. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, it wouldn't utterly surprise me if Lee Kuan Yew had stored two years of food in the basement because he was an unusual person. Uh, but, but yeah, basically you need to be self-sufficient to make this work. Uh, mm -hmm. But like one thing I think is worth thinking is, you know, like our our sort of picture of a worst case is something like the 1918 flu. Not exactly the same. The world has changed, but I think it's now. Worth how many people died in the 1918 Spanish flu? Uh, we know pretty precisely in some of the more developed countries, there's other places where we only have estimates. I've seen estimates worldwide. It might have been 50 million or more. Okay. In the United States, it was probably about 600,000. Okay. Uh, so, which is about, you know, half a percent of the population. Uh, there, oh, but, you know, there's a couple of factors. But I, anyhow, I was thinking it, it will be interesting and useful, I think, to make some comparisons between – you know, 1918 is something like a worst possible case. And how are things different today? How could we do better or worse? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, uh, and there's another very simple comparison, which is it looks like most people dying from this get lung problems. And by the way, the percentage of the official cases that are dying has been on the order of two or three percent. But most again, I don't know how close that is to the actual numbers. Uh I mean, if there are a lot more than 8,000 people sick in Wuhan, then those numbers from the hospitals are only a fraction of the story. So oddly, it could be good news if there's a million people who have been infected because you know, we probably have a better understanding of deaths. So that means almost certainly if you get it, you're going to be fine. I, it might be, but it also – I mean if the uh, death figures are not complete, it might not be. Yes. I don't know. And we don't uh, have complete trust in the Chinese Communist Party in giving us statistics on. Gee, gee, <laughs> we don't. I well. mean, uh, you know, but you know, another, again, I think for comparison, why do we? Why was the Spanish flu, the 1918 flu, called the Spanish flu? It yeah. happened in Spain. 
but it also happened in Germany and Austria and England and the United States and France. Why was it called the Spanish flu? Because in the middle of World War I, everybody else was censoring, i.e. systematically lying about the severity of it. Mm-hmm. Spain was neutral, and also because a famous guy, I think the king of Spain at the time, became gravely ill, they talked about it fairly freely. And we know that the SARS epidemic, which was something like this, but it ended up getting controlled. We know China, I remember they blatantly lied about it. There would be people who would go to a hospital saying, in China, saying, I think I might have it. And the hospital would say, oh, no, we have a perfect record. You don't want to ruin that, do you? And the guy would be like, oh, I guess not. So there were no cases recorded for that hospital. Uh, There are lots of reasons that a government might want to lie. Who knows? Some of them might be a good one, although I'm not sure I've ever heard of one yet. but uh, but it was routine. Like in World War One, a lot of the basis of it was saying, uh, we think it might interfere with the war effort if people panic, something like that. Uh, or some of it was where it's a war and we, you know, our reflex is to always censor every piece of information. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there were there were things that happened in World War One that didn't weren't released for decades because they were so embarrassing. There was a, a crisis on the on the the front in France, and they were trying to rush some troops up there. Mm -hmm. And they put 2,000 troops, they overloaded a train that was going through a very mountainous area. Mm -hmm. And the train tumbled down the mountainside and killed every single one of them. They didn't talk about it till I don't know, after World War II. Although, in their defense, you could imagine if if news gets out that there's some plague sweeping the world, your your coal miners might not show up for work. And that will hurt the war effort. Oh, I didn't say that some of these reasons couldn't be real, but it's kind of a reflex. Uh, and that reflex, at least in the United States, that reflex was probably stronger in World War One than it has ever been before or since. Yeah. You know, well, more sense. The president then, Woodrow Wilson, wasn't a big believer in free speech. So. Uh, well, if it helps, he he got royally sick from the flu too, so it, oh, it didn't do him any good. A little bit, good, you know, karma. He deserved it. He deserved, but... <laughs> he deserved more than that. But yes. uh, uh, but anyhow, yeah. I mean, there was. Uh, but you know, talk about differences. Uh, you know, similarities and differences. I don't. We don't know exact. Uh, so, this wait, thing... what was the lethality of the Spanish flu? Uh, I actually, uh, you know, for those who were infected. And again, even that's complicated because there's some people who think a lot more people were infected, but very mildly uh, than the uh, than the than the general estimate back then. General mm-hmm. estimate is something like a quarter of the population got it, and it might have killed something like 10 percent of that quarter. Oh, so. But but if it, for example, if it turned out it was a lot of other people were getting very mildly ill, then that number would be less than 10 percent, right? Uh, yep. But it's but it would also help explain why it stopped. Because if instead a total of the quarter of the population be infected, if it was actually half, you could see that the number of susceptible people would be then less. Uh, so, uh, but uh, uh, but but another thing which was true then as well as now is. Uh, no, nobody had a treatment for it, and right now nobody has a treatment for this coronavirus. But now, by uh, treatment, you you mean like a, something to prevent you from getting it? But there there are treatments. The, there are things that once you get the disease, you're much better off getting supportive than not, care. Right? Yeah, supportive care. Uh, I mean, but something that is effective at uh, stopping or destroying the the virus or preventing it that we don't have yet, uh, and they didn't have it for. Uh, the 1918 flu virus either, but they did have, you know, 
then we would just call it, you know, if the nurses kept you warm, if they uh, tried to, uh, uh, you know, keep you nourished and so forth, uh, you know, your chances of survival were better. Uh, if, uh, if you had places where there wasn't any of that, I mean, which could happen because the country might be poor and less advanced, or if the fraction of people infected was so high, it flooded any of, you know, the, there just weren't enough hospitals to take it. Uh, so I, like with with this today, I, I think of two regimes. Although it's that's a, even that's a simplification. But one is, what is the death rate when you can get to a hospital with good supportive care? Today, that would mean things like artificial ventilation and oxygen. If your lungs are messed up, mm -hmm. uh, back in World War One, I, I don't think there was much of that. Uh, <clears throat> and so, supportive care is undoubtedly better today. But if the hospital becomes full, if there's no room. Then you go to, let's say, uh, at most somebody's keeping you warm and feeding you, but there's no oxygen, there's no vent artificial ventilation. So if the if it is if it becomes common enough, so it overflows the hospitals, you would expect that the death rate would go up. Now this is that's probably what has happened in Wuhan. So so this has massive public policy implications. Even if we think, well, the R-naught is really high, we're probably not going to stop this from spreading. You want it to go over your population much more slowly, as slow as you can. So, you know, when this crop of people get sick, they can get care. Then, you know, they recover. The next group moves in. That's so much better than, like, everyone's or, sick at the same time. And If you have time, if you can up your capabilities for support, if there are even some. That could also be helpful. Oh, yeah, you can build new hospitals, train more people in how to use a ventilator. Something like that. I mean, building new hospitals, like in a situation like the United States, all you have to find is, you know, any underused building might be useful. Oh, we could just convert schools and colleges. And... Yeah, because we're going to have to temporarily close those, or we right. might in this situation. I have talked with friends who said that their university, if this became a problem, would try it as much as possible to go virtual, to do things over the Internet, and that strikes me as reasonable. I haven't heard that uh, about my college, but I'm not in the loop for that kind of thing, so it might well, be planning it. But that, yeah, that seems like a reasonable thing to do if it becomes a big problem. I mean, I know they're suspending classes in places like Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, schools are pretty efficient ways of spreading bugs. Uh, for people with small children, you know, there's a reason that you catch it from them because they go to school. And they're uh, really not good at the washing hands. Don't touch. It's it's hard to instruct them on this is the proper hygiene. So, because I'm sure that your boy is obedient in every other way. <laughs> um, I think. Well, he's old I, enough. Mine were <laughs> too. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Any rate, yeah, that's true. But you know, physical crowding is matters and for this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm, 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 let me talk about things that have changed. Uh, how are things different? There are certain things that are the same. We don't yet have a treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it looks like it's pretty infectious. It might be comparable with the flu. And it's probably, you know, ordinary flu has a pretty low death rate. And it's, you know, usually people who are already pretty ill, but it's like a tenth of a percent. Okay, this is running higher than that, even though it's also mostly killing people who are older and less healthy, but still 3% is a lot bigger than a tenth of a percent. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, this number is closer to the ballpark of what was happening with the 1918 flu, although perhaps not as bad. But So that's we, how you get the, the 50 million figure, basically. You take a 3% death rate, multiply that by 
billion or so people getting sick. And that gives us, you know, huge. That's 30 million, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how you can get way up there. So that's yeah, I, why we have – maybe we should be very, very scared of this. Yes. I mean, for example, a virus that killed half of the people but they didn't spread very well, it's very limited in how much trouble – you know, Something if like it Ebola. happens to you, it would be very scary. But Ebola, outside of kind of unusual circumstances, didn't have an R-naught greater than one. The only place it did was a few places in Africa where they had certain bad habits, particularly – bad in this context. They were probably relatively harmless the rest of the time about how they were preparing bodies for burial. But with Ebola, you know, people were shedding uh, infectious blood. It was their their traditional methods of preparation were hazardous to the preparers. Uh, that was a lot of what was happening. But in the United States situation, there was never any reason to think that r not was above one. Uh, by the way, even if it's a half, it means you're going to get a few sick nurses and things. Right. But uh, and with Ebola, very, very sick, because that was a very dangerous, more dangerous per person than this virus. But, you know, things uh, things that are better. We have a test for this. We know what causes it. That means we're ahead of where they were in 1918. OK, uh, we have better supportive therapy. Uh, I would imagine we have more hospital beds per per, per 100,000 than we used to, although I have looked at some of the recent numbers. I don't know what they were in 1918. Today, uh, like I, you know, for Wuhan, it was like, you know, for each uh, million people, you had roughly 1,000 hospital beds. Mm -hmm. uh, now, in the United States, I think it might run 2,000 per, you know, I, those are just looking at numbers for Albuquerque. I don't know all the national numbers. We had about 2,000 metropolitan you know area population of albuquerque might be something like a million uh but you know it, can you overflow that yeah you could uh uh but uh what else uh we will, are working on a vaccine uh are sort of at least thinking about it and i think some people are probably actually starting to work on it people were you know people knew something they had made some vaccines by 1918 i think we would be better at it today Hope, hopefully we certainly know well, more. we have to be better i mean well no we don't have to be better but we could be better because we know more yeah but and, if, and also we have in this case we know the exact pathogen involved uh which they did not you know that wasn't something they it wasn't beyond a dreams that they could have figured it out but they made some mistakes they were in a desperate hurry and they did not get the right and answer we've been making uh flu vaccines for quite a while so we... well those this is not the same pathogen but yes we make many vaccines yeah but, uh uh there are ways i mean i could i can describe situations in which the modern approach will be less effective simply because well for one thing we're crazier than people were in 1918 uh 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 we're probably less decisive. I mean, one thing is that to a pretty significant extent, public health people have been taught that quarantines, for example, which is one possible tool, don't work uh, or worse yet are immoral, even if they did work. Uh, mm -hmm. And they have definitely chosen not to do them in cases where they would have been helpful in recent decades. But uh, in 1918, if you had a, if you had a good argument it would work, they do it. Yeah. Uh, 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 but but there are possibilities. I mean, there was more than one made, way to, to make a vaccine or uh, like uh, I'm, I'm doing this by analogy. But, for example, we were interested in making smallpox vaccines 
in the past 20 years, people were more worried after 9-11 that who knows what might happen. Okay, mm-hmm. partly triggered by those anthrax letters. And we had we actually already had a working smallpox vaccine, uh, but we had thrown most of them away, figuring we would never need them. I mean, the World Health Organization had 200 million uh, doses of smallpox vaccine, which they kept around just in case, but apparently it, it, the disease had become extinct, except for being kept uh, officially in, in, in two labs, one in Russia and the United States, and unofficially, it turns out, on the back shelf of 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 of, uh, of uh, the closet of several other labs that people have forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyhow, it was official in the wild. It was not there. And and so they were having to pay for refrigerators to keep those 200 million doses in good shape. And they said, ah, who cares? And they turned off the refrigerators and threw it out. Then they said, oh, now we need some. What shall we do? Uh, and there were a couple of approaches. One is we we knew how to make that vaccine. Right, but uh, it involved infecting calves with cowpox, and there are people who said, "Well, you can't do that; the calves would suffer." Now, in 1918, I'll tell you, no one would have thought twice <laughs> about that. Uh, second, the uh, the um, the traditional vaccine was not the safest of all vaccines. Now, that was sort of okay from a cost benefits because you know smallpox was very dangerous. It was yeah. worth taking some uh, so. Now, these are approximate numbers from memory, but something like one in 100,000 people would have a serious side effect from mm-hmm. smallpox vaccination. That's another reason they wanted to stop it. Uh, sometimes you could ki- it could kill somebody. It was rare, probably somebody with an immune problem, but you know, it had more side effects than the typical, more recent, more optimized vaccine. Uh, but we knew how to make it, but people didn't want to do it that way because, hey, also, it was an old-fashioned way. Uh, there was there were more modern ways. There was one in which you were going to synthesize some of the proteins in the coat of the vaccine in the shell around you know around the virus, mm-hmm. and that would would theoretically have uh, fewer side effects. And it's a new kind of vaccine that wasn't that people didn't know how to do in 1918. Of course, the one disadvantage of it you don't know whether it's going to work, and there's no way to ever find out because only an insane person will even no one. People are afraid to work with smallpox for good reason. Yeah. Okay. So you had two approaches. One you knew would work, but it wasn't perfect. It was merely pretty good. And the other, you had no idea it was work. I think you can see which one they would naturally prefer. Of course. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, by the way, let me say one example of why people were so afraid of working with it. There were, for some time, even when smallpox was either rare or gone in the wild. There were people still doing research on it. But there was a research accident in a lab in England where somehow it got blown through a vent or something into another floor of the same building and killed a woman. Yeah. And I believe the researcher involved ended up killing himself or something over guilt, which I'm not sure he did anything particularly obviously uh, you know, irresponsible, but you know, it the whole thing, people were afraid to play with it. And not without reason. Uh, But anyhow, but this is an example. There are multiple approaches to making vaccines. We know more than we did. So what's the time scale for making a new vaccine these days? What I hear is like a year or longer. Okay. And of course, this would be a rush job, one imagines. So they could. Well, I I heard one (laughs) suggestion from Randall Parker, which I had actually thought of first, although he he put it on the Internet before I did, which is if there are several approaches Mm -hmm. uh, and this thing turns you know, let's say over the next few weeks, it turns out to be as 
on this high end of the risk, you know, it's in the top 10%. It's a scary thing. Yeah. One thing to do is when you have several possible approaches is to try all of them at once to see which one will, you know, maybe one will be faster. Maybe you will be lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, there is another set of approaches, which is, uh, you know, people don't, you know, there are drugs that are useful against viral disease. They are not as powerful and not as broad spectrum as, as the antibiotics, which are typically against bacterial infections, but they exist. Right. We have drugs that are, for some things, are quite useful. Now, it takes probably longer. I would say the course of developing a new drug against uh, something like a virus is longer and less predictable than predict making a vaccine. It's probably the first thing people would do is look at all the existing antiviral drugs. So this must be happening in China, right? They're competent They're enough to be. It. I've heard of people doing this in Thailand. Um, now, one of the problems is, look, most people are recovering anyhow. So if you give somebody something and it gets well, you don't know that it worked. Mm -hmm. But like if you had a larger group. Yeah, yeah. This and, statistical you know, it, analysis could it handle takes, that one. You, you could, but it would take a little while. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're there yet. You know, this is a possibility. It, but you know, using an already existing antiviral drug that was designed essentially for some different virus, but you know, it might work on these, and I'm sure people will be trying that. And if they find something effective along those lines, uh, we'll call this good but possible luck. Uh, this whole thing might be a much smaller problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, particularly if it's something that we've actually already got some of it made, you know, et cetera. Uh, well, this... what is the likelihood that we be able to develop a vaccine? Is this a pretty much automatic process? Is it like one and is it you know, one and two? Or... I would think if you had several tries running simultaneously, the probability of success within a couple of years is very high. I mean, I'm trying to maximize the probability by saying if there are four ways to do it, or even sometimes two different guys using slightly different approaches, but are, you know, to make essentially the same kind of vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the model here is if you have a serious problem, you do not, what you're trying to optimize is, you know, your protection, not minimize your cost. And, and also, by the way, none of this is anything compared to normal government expenditures. I mean, if we spent, we spent half a billion dollars and made every vaccine maker charge out this at once, I mean, you'd, it, you'd have to look with a microscope to see, you know, the difference in the federal deficit. Right, uh, right. But, but it might be reasonable um, to do it, uh, you know, to charge at it and do try several approaches uh, and several guys. Uh, I mean, there are things that can fail for reasons nobody quite understands. There, you can make one and it should work, but its uh, efficiency is 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 low enough. It's not too helpful. Yeah. Any, anyhow. Well, how uh, long then does it take to test for safety? Uh, probably a while. I mean, particularly if you start thinking about if you're talking about long-term safety. I mean, it takes a long term, right? There isn't any other way. Uh, safety. I mean, in a sense. You would have to think harder about this than smallpox because smallpox is more deadly. The more deadly it is, the more risk you can accept. In the yeah, case. if this only has, say, a 1% chance of killing someone, that's a harder decision. Do you give this vaccine that we're not quite sure what's going to happen? On the other hand, 1% of the current human race is over 70 million people. So, uh, yeah. the uh, yeah, I mean, look, people can work out the numbers, but I, I think that this the basic idea of – trying several parallel efforts would be reasonable. Uh, you know, it's like in the Manhattan Project, there were several possible ways of that might eventually lead to the bomb. 
which of those did we pursue? I said, kind of all of them. Well, let me go back to safety. For They give you a different flu vaccine every year. How are they testing the safety of that one? I would, I don't know. I mean, obviously they're not testing it for 40 years to see if it has some sort of subtle long-term effect. What they're saying, again, I'm not an expert on this, but what I mm-hmm. think is that they're saying, look, we use approximately the same methods. The virus hasn't changed that much. We're not too worried that this vaccine is going to make everybody drop dead. Right. I mean, like, if I remember correctly, some of them use, uh, you know, they they grow them in eggs. Uh, they worry about people having certain people having allergies to, uh, you know, egg proteins. That might be a problem, but that's not a new problem. It's a problem every time. I think it's the reason they feel comfortable with it is they're simply not changing it too much. The virus has changed probably most times. The influenza virus has changed just enough that it gets past people's immune systems and mm-hmm. stuff. And, um, and they, you know, the hardest thing is it does take them time to see, you know, several fl- new flu strains. They have to try to guess which is going to be the dominant one next year because it takes them that kind of time to make the new vaccine and get it ready. But this is easier than this than the coronavirus vaccine would be, at least some easier, because uh, the coronavirus is a new target. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, we know something about other coronaviruses. Some of them are pretty close to harmless. Some of them, like SARS and MERS, are quite dangerous. But we know something about them. Anyhow, I'd say one of our advantages compared to 1918 is we know a lot. We know the pathogen. We have sequenced its genome. We are we're more sophisticated in our methods and our capabilities of of uh, developing um, vaccines. We have on the shelf a lot of existing antiviral drugs, some of which might be useful. Uh, they didn't have a big list of antiviral drugs on that you could just look in the back of the medicine cabinet and check in 1918. I don't think they had any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have some advantages. We have some disadvantages. Travels faster. Mm-hmm. That, from the viewpoint of controlling something like this, that's a disadvantage. Uh, you don't, uh, you know, jet planes are bad for this sort of thing. Uh, um, I think that's that's a known thing. Uh, uh, and, you know, so probably if you looked at the time frames for you know, how things spread in 1918, you could speed them all up by, like, take whatever was the time it took for the ship to get from here to there and sub, for whatever that time was, substitute eight hours. So, I mean, 50 million, that's such a horror that are you with the same thing for our planet now to do to basically cancel almost all airline travel for a while till we have this figured out? I have, I don't know enough. I'm not sure that, yeah, it might be right, but I can't, uh, I mean, I don't think the Chinese government knows enough. I do know, look, the one thing I'm confident is things are not better than what they're saying. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is not a tiny thing they're blowing up just because of the sheer pleasure of ruining business over and shutting down. No, uh, wait. Isn't it possible that the Chinese Communist Party wants to come out as heroes, so they're going to make it seem worse, and then when it goes away, it was the heroic leadership? Maybe they're, that's what's probably, happening. At this point, at a minimum, they'll cut economic growth in half for the year. I don't think they want to do that. You know, you buy ads. You make up a story about a heroic individual. You don't try to, you know, you know that would be like 
you 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 were wanting a war and then you let the enemy sink your entire fleet as a start. Mm-hmm. Only a stupid person would believe in that model. So now, wait, Roosevelt didn't let Pearl Harbor happen to get us in the he war. He didn't stop it, but he didn't hell. I mean, it's as if the Japanese were the guys flying those planes and going across the Pacific in radio silence. Yes, of course. It's 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 an insane idea. Uh I mean, you know, of course there have been insane national leaders, but Roosevelt wasn't one of them. Uh the uh uh and by the way, we're talking pretty insane if somebody says, yes, destroy my entire fleet. At any rate, the uh, – uh, uh, but, but yeah, so the question is – you know, one of the questions I don't know the answer to, which is how bad is this likely to be? If mm-hmm. – I mean there are – I mean I said, you know, like watching what happens in Singapore could be informative because, for example, if it, if it turns out that conditions in warm weather are such that it tends not to spread – that would mean some countries would be virtually shielded from it, yeah. and others would at least, you know, if, for example, it didn't become a big thing in the United States before summer, I mean, it might still be by fall, but we'd have extra time. To right. Do that could be useful. Is this the case? I don't know. There, are, It is the case for some similar viruses. For this, I said, you know, watch Singapore. It's the only thing I can think of right now to find out, does warmth and humidity inhibit its spread? Uh, there are other questions like that. Like some people suggested that it might, you know, possibly by local evolution or just weird chance, Chinese might be more susceptible to it. I kind of doubt it, but it's possible. I mean, mm-hmm. we know there are pathogens that uh, differentially affect pop- populations, sometimes drastically so. So this is really going against some things I saw that other people are claiming that humans are just not different enough for a virus to have a preference for one small subgroup, but you know, for one well, racial group, but you're saying that's not true. It might, it might I'm be. I'm saying if, if you have a virus from an animal, probably most of them, it's not terribly likely that they're only going to hit one group or hit one group a lot harder. But historically, there are examples where things like that have happened. Typically, it was because one group had had long evolutionary experience with the pathogen and had become tougher against it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, long might be only a few hundred years, but that's enough to make differences if it's deadly enough, uh, or might be longer. But you know, or at the opposite end of the story, with populations that were long isolated and say had few, if any, pathogens. So this is what happened to the Native Americans when Columbus came by. And, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, there you had the uh, the Europeans and also the Africans who came over. Uh, both of them had gone through the ringer. Mm-hmm. They had been exposed to lots of diseases. They were they ranged from having good defenses to at least some defenses against them. And I would guess that in some cases they were these defenses were moderately general. They might even work on new similar viruses that we hadn't run into yet. Mm-hmm. American Indians, none of that. They had had very few pathogens. They were very vulnerable. So I mean, and they ended up probably the worst places where uh, there were parts that were tropical enough that that the African diseases invaded as well as the European diseases. Yeah. You know, so there were parts of uh, you know, lowland, warm areas in the Americas where, I mean, as far as you can tell, the Indians just disappeared or came close. Uh, you know, if you have both smallpox and malaria as new things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they went through a very, you know, so, the, but no, but that's not, it's not the case that the Chinese and your people of European ancestry or people of African ancestry or Middle Eastern ancestry have gone through dramatically wildly different 
exposure to pathogens. China's had its fair share of it's had smallpox, it's had malaria, it's no, you don't expect them to be infinitely more vulnerable, and I don't think they are. Uh, but on any given virus, funny things happen. Uh, I mean, there was a virus. Again, we think it's a virus. This is back around in the 1500s that uh, swept through England rather rapidly, called the English sweat. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more deadly than what we're talking about. But it, they would notice weird patterns. Like the first time it ran through, it it didn't hit. Like it hit Calais, which was still owned by the English, but it never spread to France. I mean, it was hitting Englishmen, 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 Englishmen. It, uh, some people think it might have been a disease that was had already existed in perhaps a milder form in France, but it was hitting Englishmen and not Frenchmen, groups that aren't incredibly different. But uh-huh. that that was at least some of the time that's what it was doing. Uh, so you know, it's hard to say. It could also have been something like something that French or English were eating caused the differential impact. Well, in that case, it probably, you know, all you have to do is avoid avoid kidney pie or something, which sounds like a wonderful idea in any case. Yes, avoid English cuisine and you are safer. Like people already don't need have yeah. plenty of reasons to avoid English cuisine. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, But, yeah, it's possible. Uh, but anyhow, my general, I mean, like 1918 flu ran everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anybody. I mean, there were some groups that seemed more vulnerable to it, but there was nobody who was, for whom it wasn't a big problem. Uh, and now the 1918 flu mostly killed people like in the prime of life, right? People around 20 or so. The typical path with things like this is it hits either small children whose immune system is not as well developed or hits old people who have other health problems and immune system is probably somewhat degraded. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 but... 1918 was unusual in which it seemed to have uh, a peak uh, among people like, you know, 18 to 30. But this uh, one does, this is the, this seems to have a typical pattern of mostly very elderly closer. or. Uh, closer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've heard no indication there's a, an early midlife peak for this thing. It's tip. I mean, of the stats I've seen so far, it's hitting men more than women. And like the people who are really vulnerable are like men over 60. Oh. Uh, particularly if they have other underlying heart uh, health problems, which after a while, everybody has something. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so you could end up with an entirely new group of people running for the Democratic nomination, oh, uh, and you know, and the Republican. Uh, the uh, you know, since we have a notoriously old field, I mean, for the most part, uh, the. Uh, but well, uh, Bloomberg could be on his own island, so he can protect himself. Well, I don't think – I'm not sure he'll go out shaking a lot of hands. Uh, yeah. uh, but other people might. I mean, polit- yes, I know. Don't take this the wrong way, but it might be particularly dangerous to politicians. That does not mean it's a good thing, however. The, uh, uh, But I can't imagine anything worse than in the middle of this feeling compelled in a primary to still go out and shake hands with thousands of people. That would be a bad idea. But then uh, that's going to be how you signal courage. You could imagine it's Trump versus Biden, and no one's doing it. Then Trump does it, and he challenges Biden and calls him a coward. And then I, Biden I'd, does I'd it. Hire, and they both I'd die. hire. I'd hire a double. Uh, the uh, yeah. I wouldn't want to do it. Uh, 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 but uh, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't know. But yeah. Anyhow, what if it is as bad as 1918? It is pretty infectious, more so than SARS was. Mm-hmm. You know, SARS, they got a handle on it. Here, it doesn't seem to me like they have. Although, you know, 
Well, I mean, like, let, let's suppose, like, the number of new cases has apparently slowed, maybe, right. in, in Wuhan. But uh, I also know that the, the government of China has decided to go out and arrest everybody they think is infected, or rather detain and put them in camps. That doesn't strike me as, you know, I'm trying to remember to the extent that I can, judge people by what they do rather than what they say. And if they're doing that, and if they Revealed also... preference. Oh, yes. If they um, judge them by their fruits, if they're also putting this lockdown, I mean, the lockdown means that Wuhan, you know, you see big buildings, you know, the center of town, and there's nobody out. I, I was reading, people are wondering why there's so few social media posts by people who have gone through and had the illness and other people are claiming, whoa, because if you say you have it or had it in social media, you're afraid the government will come and arrest you. Well, I, again, everything I say, I'm perfectly happy to have somebody check it and correct me if I'm wrong. But I had the impression that the original area, the number of people involved in their first, you know, kind of lockdown, you know, was something like 60 million around right. Wuhan. And I heard that it's been expanded. That was a couple of days ago. And they're now doing Shenzhen, which is a very large area, bigger. And that the total number of people in China who are on some sort of lockdown, if what I read was true a couple of days ago, and I could be wrong, but it was 400 million. That it seems just, like a lot of people. Now, what? let's just assume the Chinese government is acting rationally. If that many people have it, is it – what are they gaining by doing that? I mean if it's – won't it spread pretty quickly through everyone? Is it – they're hoping to gain a few weeks? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, we can we can mention two possible alternatives. One is the people, you know, people, inf influential advisors close to the top of the Chinese government who are routinely making, you know, running real simulations, thinking of incisive ways to check what some of these key numbers are, even in a case where the, the data is kind of foggy and who are reflexively think in terms of whether you're in exponential or sub-exponential regions of parameter space, yeah. which, of course, all governments are like that. The, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, have any governments ever been like well, that? Well, there's a yeah, lot of engineers in China. They do. There's got to be a lot of technical competence that at least if the party wants to call on, they can. I mean, Could be. Uh, I am just trying to remember if I've ever heard any place where something like this was actually happening. Uh, it seems unusual. Uh, uh, but that doesn't mean that people aren't trying to do something, even if they aren't sitting around, you know, uh, you know, it's in other words, are the people who are, you know, just making the key decisions, the equivalent of grandmasters of mm -hmm. this? And the answer is I've never heard of a place where they were, but I guess there's a first time for everything. Okay. Uh, but I don't believe it because certainly the first month or so, they actually did poorly with responding to this. They're certainly not grandmasters all the time. You know, you heard about that doctor who saw the first cluster. Yeah. And he said, I, th I think we have something to worry about. He started talking to people about it, and, they all t and the government told him, shut up. Yeah, he was forced to apologize. and. Yeah, well, and now he's dead. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, – I doubt if they're – you know, since they're human beings, I think, you know, they're probably fucked like everybody else. But let's see. I mean, I could be wrong. I could tell you individual places where this might almost have happened. If, you know, even a smart guy has to very often find the right experts. And how does he know which ones are the true experts? Uh, usually only recent experience. They might have a little bit of that in China with SARS. Right. Uh, so I don't know. But I know that 
you know, the idea with these lockdown things and, you know, you're closing things, you're, you're trying to keep people from mingling, you're trying to effectively reduce the R naught. Now, there are two things. One is, as we, you were pointing out, if you can merely slow down the process, that's worth something. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, it might be worth more because if you slowed it down enough, maybe we can slow it down so it gives somebody time to test those antivirals. Or if we could slow it down a whole lot, maybe it would give somebody time to develop a vaccine. You know, time is a good thing, uh, as well as the fact that if people are only getting sick, in, you know, Everybody gets sick, but gradually so that the hospitals don't overflow, that would be good, mm -hmm. uh, or so they overflow less. But uh, the thing is they're doing an awful lot of things to try to reduce that you know, social modification to reduce R0, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, I, but I'm not convinced that – I mean it seems hard to believe it's actually working, particularly in China as a whole. Lots of people have left this area. The rest, yeah. I mean, they may have to, I mean, again, they have apparently extended it to another large area uh, in the past couple of days, and they're extending the intensity of it. If they're talking about putting people and, in camps. And since there's videos of people being carried from their homes screaming, my guess is they're also creating this horrible incentive where if someone has it, they don't want to go to the doctor. Uh, <laughs> it's possible. Uh by the way, guys, that's a perfectly ordinary cough I just uh -huh. had. The uh, well, you can't catch it through listening to a podcast, so you're sure? Least, no, but oh, okay, uh, it's unlikely. Yeah, uh, uh, but uh, that kind of virus would do really well, though, wouldn't it? If it could be spread audially, but we're not. Let's <laughs> let's let's not go there. We have enough uh, to worry about already. But uh, the thing is, yeah, it isn't crazy to try those tight controls if there's a reasonable chance of it being able to stop or greatly slow the spread. But mm -hmm. even if it's not crazy, it's not guaranteed to work. Uh, now, one of the things that, uh, you know, they had uh, a foolish op-ed in the uh, New York Times a bit ago in which they were talking about, guy was a guy was talking about how, oh, you know, uh, quarantines never work. And the answer is, well, sometimes they do. Uh, and today, in some ways, they could work better. Uh, again, I was talking about differences between then and now. Again, we have we have a test. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, one thing which is a, a general limitation of this is if you're trying to limit ordinary activities, uh, it depends on how vital those activities are. So, for example, in 1918, I'm pulling a number out of the air. Let's say half of the people were farmers. Right. Well, you really, you know, you couldn't really afford to have them stop farming. But you know, maybe. Many of the other people who were not farmers, you could. In other words, the question is, if you're telling people to stay home and do nothing, it depends on how vital their activities are. Yes, and we have a, a, a lot fewer vital activities, at least if vital is defined as you, you have a good chance of dying if people aren't doing this. Yes. I mean, I would imagine that at least 90% of the people, adults in the United States, are doing things that we could all do without, at least for a while. So if economists stop working for the next year, how badly would the U.S. be hurt? Hmm. Okay. You, that, <laughs> that, you, you just remind me of a different conversation. Uh, this was uh, the guy who was head of the Soviet Air Force just before the Germans invaded. He was drunk, and he was mm -hmm. saying – God, our planes are all biplanes. They're all shit. We're so fucked. And Stalin looked at him and said, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm a full professor, so I could say it. 
Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have protected you against Stalin because no. he had the guy shot just like that. By the way, everything the guy said was true. But yes, that made uh, it worse. I mean, that's the problem. Well, I mean, it clearly, uh, you know, economic growth has been growing and labor participation and so forth. It was doing better than most people kind of thought was possible over the past three years or so. Yeah, economy's uh, doing really well. But that means economists' predictions are doing poorly. Uh, it depends on the economist, but well, yeah. there weren't many who were said that w was a likely consequence. Perhaps there's still stuff that nobody knows. At any rate, well, we had the but, Donald Trump phenomenon, which we you know did not predict, but neither did anyone else. So <laughs> I only predicted it from the day before the election. <laughs> uh, that counts uh, something. At any rate, yeah. back back to this. The uh, but the question is. Like, let, let's look at it from a U.S.-centric point of view. What could we do if we needed to? I mean, if this thing is something that without rigorous attempts to limit it would, um, let's say, infect a third of the population and kill 2% of that, mainly because we got to the point where the hospitals were full. Right. Although we don't want to set that as exogenous, right? Because we want to say it'll be around that. We, hopefully we can change those two variables. Well, I'm not saying that's fit. I said that's like a worst case if we do yeah. nothing. Yeah. If you do nothing and this thing is a, is in the upper 10% of possible out, the worst 10% right. of possible yeah. out. Okay. You know, it's kind of a worst case. Yeah. Uh, although for all I know, it's also the actually expected case. I just don't know enough. Yeah, that's – But, but uh, what could we do to make that better? Uh, we could have parallel intense efforts on developing therapies uh, and vaccines. I don't think anybody – I don't think anybody would argue with that, although – of course, somebody would. For some reason, I'll never understand. Uh, um, mm -hmm. What else? Uh, would Could we – if we want to do things that would slow its spread. So as I said, I've talked to uh, friends at universities who talked about going virtual, mm -hmm. which is to the extent possible, uh, you know, classes could continue online. I mean there's a fair fraction of these have an online component already. Uh but, I mean, it means you're going to mess up some classes. You probably can't do your chemistry lab remotely. Right. Actually, you could, but it would take a lot of setup. And, I mean, there actually are. Well, well you, but you switch what you're doing. You're doing a chemistry lab. You're now doing memorize these organic chemistry structures or something. The point is there are useful things you could do for most people. And, yeah. and now, could you do similar things with uh, – Things like high schools and stuff. I would say for the most part, yes. I mean, one objection would be, well, there are some people who are so poor that they don't have Internet access. The answer is there really aren't very many people like that. And mm -hmm. if all we can do is do the best we can for 96% of the population, well, that's a whole lot better than just sitting around and being stupid. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, if there were such problems, let's say in a year from now when hopefully we're over this sort of thing, we do our level best to ameliorate them. Okay, but, you know – like if, and we could always, if there are people who don't have their connections, their kids, we could always just drop off books at their house. I mean, well, there, are say, things, there are lots yeah. of things you could do. Uh, I mean, like we don't have as many huge factories that have thousands of people all working at the same place. To the extent we do, we might want to say, guys, we we want to change this. We want to, uh, we may have to suspend this for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there were factories in 1918 where they had huge numbers of terribly sick people and they spread inside that dense factory yeah. we don't have many places like that but yeah think Although, of, i mean colleges are like that there's giant colleges well, yeah, where people are sharing bathrooms but they don't make anything the uh well, but they're factories for producing knowledge or acquiring but anyway sorry 
Some of them are. Some of the time, uh, some of them are, you know, yes. placed for other purposes. At any rate, but the point is, we could do things like that, going virtual. Like, and again, there is an end point to this, which, if we work hard, can be made closer. I mean, mm-hmm. if we if we could say, look, at at least, uh, like we we hope to have a vaccine, and I say a year, maybe the year. I hope it's that number rather than two years, but it's something like that. We can be scouring existing drugs to see if anything is useful. Again, that is, I think, much less predictable. I've also thought that if this does happen, what Congress should do is essentially pay for everyone to get free Netflix and Hulu and all of that. And that would make us happier being at home. You know, uh, you know, the. It's the streaming uh, quarantine or something hey, like that. Yeah, that's that's well, that's a big benefit. I mean, it, you know, if you think about being stuck at home for a year without the internet and with the internet, and you know, all the pay sites are now free. To I you, mean, it's, that's a big difference for a lot of people. It would, in fact, be possible to get quite a bit done. Uh, you know, telecommuting. Yeah. I mean, not everybody, nothing like everybody, but a lot of people. I mean, I there are in the work I do. I could probably, you know, I can write code at home probably easier some ways. Uh, uh, I mean, at the very least, I'm saving my commute. So, yeah. uh, And there's a lot of people who would be happier. I imagine a lot of high school kids who would rather be home playing video games and occasionally doing work when their parents can get them to. Well, I could actually imagine a number that would rather be seeing their friends or their girlfriends or something. Oh, they but, do that uh, online now. That, no, no, no. That, that they are seeing their friends. Their, their interaction with their friends is through Discord and this texting. Well, so they're, I they're could, getting just I as much see, of that. I could see certain limitations on this method. Okay, but some of those are positive for the viewpoint of parents. Um, but... Okay, you know, think in the long run. I mean, okay, well, yes, it, but uh, not uh, when you. Well, yeah, I remember, I, remember something. I once said that familiarity may breed contempt, but lack of familiarity breeds nothing at all. Uh, the, uh, but at uh, any rate, the point is there are things like that to be done. And there's another thought one of my sons, uh, Alex, suggested, which I think is maybe worth exploring. Like, let's suppose that this thing is something we're scared of with good reason. We're worried about it spreading. Now, there are – here's an analogy – if we put if we greatly limit travel to the United States, that will limit the number of people infected who come in. Right. Okay. And by the way, this it may be too late for all of this, but let's suppose for the moment it's not. Then what you can do is you can have a procedure where, though in principle, if uh, if it it could spread and become a big problem, if at every point you catch it when it is small and stomp it out, it's like you have a a dry California brush. It's, it's flammable. It almost wants to burn. But if you had lots of people around who put out every fire when it's small, mm-hmm. you could keep it from burning, and you're hoping for something that changes things, perhaps winter and rains, perhaps uh, uh, perhaps you're starting an effort to cut back this brush and, and control, do controlled fires, something. The point is you have realistic plans so that you won't have to – like you know this isn't going to work forever. Eventually, it'll get too big and get past you. But if it only has to work for a while, you have a chance of succeeding. Yeah. But but one idea that uh, uh, Alex suggested was uh, the equivalent of bulkheads in a ship where you divide uh, the country into different regions. And if it looks like it's spreading in one region, you put a separate barrier around it you know, so you can compartmentalize. Again, I don't know if this will work, but it's a thought. 
yeah, uh, that they're, makes they're sense. They're sort of doing things like that in China. Uh, the, uh, uh, I mean, it also means like if suppose you had a country that was doing things that at least as rational as us, you might not have to worry very hard about that, the border with that country, except that we have. I don't think that will happen in either Canada or Mexico. Mexico, because of limited state capacity, actually, yeah. you know, there is one way we could see tough, rational policies applied Wait, in Mexico. I'm going to guess. The drug gangs take over the yes, immigration yes. policy. If the, if the narco-trafficantes say, look, we are not about to lose 2 or 3% of our customers. This will not stand. <laughs> we will stop this. Yeah, the, then then everybody in Mexico would be too afraid to violate their new rules. But uh, I So don't... then the analogy is Trump should just bribe the narco, narco gangs to say, look, could you make sure no one crosses our border while this is a problem? Here's a bunch of money. Well, you can use both bribes and threats. They said, you know, because you you should remember that although we don't actually do it, we do have we can blow you to pieces anytime we feel like it. So, you know, try to keep that in mind. But I would not be surprised if it. Uh, I mean, by the way, I don't wish this on anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, no country anyhow. There must be a couple of individuals I wish it on. But uh, I mean, I hope Mexico does not get into big trouble with this. And, you know, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll have tough, rational policies. Maybe the problem won't be as big as we as it as it looks as if it might be. Maybe it'll turn out that the genetic vulnerabilities are different in a favorable way to them. But mm-hmm. all else equal, I worry about that they – I mean, I worry about us. I don't think our chances of having uh, strongly effective rational policies are very likely. Well, how much and, higher could the death rate be in a country like Mexico than the United States? Well, if we did Given a good same- job. Yeah, we did a good job and we had only small outbreaks and we smothered each one while we were striving to develop a general solution. Mm -hmm. And let's suppose we succeeded for six months. Let's say we get a little luck. It goes slower in the summer and we do get to that general solution. Uh, We might not lose many people at all. And another country that couldn't do that might lose one percent in this bad you know, near worst case now, scenario. What if this? What about the idea if it overflows hops? If uh, like if this goes, you know, viral in India, and they most people aren't getting any medical treatment at all from other than family members. How much higher could the death rate be there? Maybe three percent. I mean, it, I don't know exactly. I mean, with Wuhan, it's probably a mix of some people in the hospitals, some people not getting to the hospitals. I can't tell the exact numbers. It seems like it's the order of 3%, something like that. Uh, but it's complicated. Uh, I mean, it looks like there's also a lot of transmission inside a hospital to the people who didn't already have it in the hospital. Yeah. And that's not good. I mean, hospitals are sort of crowded. And, you know, they do a lot of things that sort of routinely tend to transmit things. I mean, huh? Can we protect doctors? If you're a doctor, you're healthy, you're, you're, you, do, you don't make a dumb mistake, you've got the right protective equipment. Can you – is that – like I don't think certainly we know. Good enough? I think the only things we have that are probably nearly perfect to this are also greatly get in the way of getting things done, yeah. getting close to you know wearing a spacesuit or something. Uh, so we this really is sort need, of, we really need robots that can offer like basic care and to people that would be a good. Well, the thing future. is, I don't really see how to get them in real short order. Yeah, yeah we're not not for this epidemic, but for the next they'd one, a, they'd be a real good thing. Uh, but. Uh, uh, again, you know, maybe, you know, like if, if the Chinese have sat on this so that in every major part of China they push R0 below 1. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. 
I think, what, but I could be wrong, and I'd be perfectly happy to be wrong. Uh, and the other thing is, even if they do it, what if it takes that sort of effort to get yeah. it below one? Well, I don't think I'll, there are certainly many people in this country who would resist any such effort. I think for like a three percent death rate, I think there's so, there's so many people would would say it's better to have three percent of our population die than just to have destroy civil liberties for six months. I've certainly heard people tell me that in so many words. Yeah, that's uh, horrid, about but... previous things. <laughs> they said it's better that we did it. The said sure if we had done X quarantine it would have worked but that would have been too high a price to pay if merely to save a few hundred yes, thousand it's lives. not who we are we die heroically rather than sacrifice our values that's the, that would be an well i mean the thing is three percent death rate at if least. you can convince a fair fraction of, of the right people or even the general population wait now, this isn't going to be something i have to cut out is it no i'm just saying okay. that you can uh uh how can i say this uh like i can imagine that let's suppose we found that the stuff in China was working and not much – you had to do about that much to make it work. Yeah. I think that's conceivable. I'm not sure it's true, but it's conceivable. Yeah. It would be tough. And, yeah. no, there's probably no – there's no standard legislative – I mean, the pres, no president has ever done anything like this. Especially, I mean, honestly, with, with Trump, not that he's bad but necessarily, but that so many people hate him, that he's not a – everyone, you know, 95 percent of the people rally to him kind of guy. Oh, he might get up to 55 or something. Yeah, yeah, but he's... But, I mean, what, some of these things are easier to fix than you think. Like, let's imagine that we actually know pretty well. Perhaps we have extra sources of information. Maybe we're using our spy satellites to look very closely at China and see, uh, maybe we have a way to estimate how many people are actually dying or something. Yeah. I mean, by the way, that would be desirable. I don't know if we have it. But, you know, suppose between the public information and some extra information... Uh, hey, maybe we sneak people in who are expendable, and they come back telling us, uh, "I, I've been, you know, I've been monitoring this funeral home, and they're four times as busy as average." You know, you might. It's not impossible by putting a bunch of small pieces of information to get a better picture. I mean, there were guys in World War II who were very useful spies, and all they did was watch the trains go by on the tracks and say how many uh, cars there were going here and there. Because you add a few pictures up like that, and you know uh, quite a bit about, you know, what's the logistic capability of the Germans moving stuff into Russia? Like, here's there are these so many big railroads. How busy are they? Yeah. You end up knowing something. So maybe they're analogous things doing. Although and, my and hopefully the NSA is, you know, spying on most phone calls in China of important people. I think, you know, they figured out how to do that. It doesn't seem that yeah. unlikely. The truly unusual people for whom phone calls are full of factual, correct information. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe there's – anyhow, suppose you knew this. And let's suppose it said, look, if we do this, we will you know, we will have a minimal number of casualties. and we don't, we might have a couple million. Okay? Yeah. Suppose that were the case. Uh, I think it would still be true that if you started doing them – I mean, it's going to disrupt everything in sight. People yeah. are not going to like it. A lot of people said, but I probably would have lived anyhow. I said – they're probably most of them right, uh, uh, but there would be people who would object to it. Uh, we would have individual uh, judges issue uh, rulings that it's unconstitutional, just like they oh, do for – But my theory is if that – if you got to that point – and by the way, there is one particular thing that might have helped convince certain people, like maybe having like five senators die of it, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
By the way, to speed that up, what we need to do is get a bunch of senators to go off on a roving inspection commission like to China. So we can, you know, because it's going to take too long. If we just wait for them to accidentally get it. We got to maximize their exposure so they can learn a lesson. At any rate, yeah, that was a joke on the internet. It's a pledge to the internet where instead of the people Trump recently fired who, you know, weren't helping him with impeachment, he instead <laughs> sent them to Wuhan to see what was going on. And, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's a dirty job, but someone's – yeah, I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't have fired him. There's all sorts of useful jobs for people like or, – or the other argument is you keep them as close as possible. Uh, the uh, – uh, as uh, Don Corleone said, uh, I think, uh, you keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. At any rate, uh, but the thing is it's it's – it's against the grain of what every civil libertarian and everybody who simply is a friend of liberties, but it also might be what works. It's not impossible. Another big difference is for us in China is the Second Amendment, that we Americans have far greater capacity to fight back against people oh, coming to drag not. you away. Really? No, no, of course not. Oh, come on. I mean, it can't be – they can't overwhelm every place. They send sure two they people – Sure, they They send two people to come and get you and you – That's what guns? tanks are for. There's, you know, that's the not – that, that's a the only thing victory. that that kind of – have the population having a moderate amount of light arms is the only thing useful you could ever do with it is if you had some – if you had a dictator who desperately needed to be assassinated, someone might do it. But you know, against professionals uh, – But no. if it's likely to be the police who do it, that's – I don't know. You'd be anyway, surprised the backup the police has have nowadays. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they have special little armored vehicles for breaking down crack houses and all kinds. I, I think it's when uh, – well, here's an example. Uh, back on the Texas frontier in the Civil War, they had had the Texas Rangers out there defending against the Comanches, and then they didn't. They were pulled into the Civil War. Yeah. So you had this frontier area with thinly spread farms. And then the you know so some you you have a ranch and you have your wife and you have a couple of kids and the command twenty Comanches show up. Well, what are you supposed to do? And the answer is, well, they're going to kill you. That's all that. That's pretty much all that's going to happen. Yeah. You did you don't have an automatic rifle with computerized sights. What they do is they set your building on fire while you're asleep. I mean, what are you going to do? Stay awake for the rest of your life? The point is they outnumber you locally. They outnumber the next guy locally and the next guy locally and the next guy locally. What happened was the frontier moved backwards mm -hmm. about 100 miles during the Civil War. And there were similar things in northern Mexico even earlier. I said unless you have quickly mobilizable forces that can deal with these people, they always – you know, the raiders always win. Uh, the, the frontier settlement moved back much further in northern Mexico. They couldn't mm -hmm. deal with them or – Another probably better known example, how do you defeat Vikings? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, they just suddenly show up. So in your analogy, the police are the Vikings because they'll just swarm you if you don't go in and they'll sure, take you. Sure, and they can come in fair numbers if they want to, and they can call up the National Guard too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think people exaggerate that. However, uh, I don't think that's what – I mean, I'm not saying you wouldn't have some demented asshole says, no, I'm not – you're not going to put me in that uh, – um, yeah. in that shelter. Camp, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I mean, some of this actually, you know, I'm not sure camps are the right thing because it's probably too easy to spread things to each other. I mean, if they're all infected, I guess it wouldn't matter. Maybe. Right. Well, they, yeah. They... But, uh, anyhow, no, I, I don't think, uh, I've seen science fiction where the people have taken this to excellent points, but that's because it was 
a story. Uh, and this one, you have to worry about individual farmers who don't want to cooperate who also have their own atomic weapons. And I said, but, you know, people don't. People don't have their own atomic I mean, I, at least not <laughs> my knowledge. Okay. I don't. I'm willing to admit it. I have no atomic weapons. I don't even have a second strike capability. At any rate, the uh, uh, but I think that if you had certain people who are objecting and you've get, developed a consensus, let's say, based on fear, mm -hmm. people will say, screw you. I mean, if a judge from the Ninth Circuit says you can't do that, but people in Washington the, uh, and, they, and probably a lot of other people saying, look, this is something we have to do, they'll just ignore it. Yeah, and this is a situation where the Supreme Court would intervene almost right away. So uh, it, it wouldn't be a district court. I, I don't think people would waste time with it. I mean, if yeah, there's something I, you have to do, I mean, rules I, go away. I mean, like, think of all the things that happened starting after, like, you know, I, I told you there were some very odd rules before World War II started. According to some law about the Federal Communications Act, it was illegal for Americans to listen to coded Japanese military radio because yeah. we were like infringing upon the privacy of the Japanese Navy if we listened to their radio broadcast in code and tried to translate them. Yes. And there were people who did it anyhow, but they worried that they'd, get, they'd go to prison, guys <laughs> in the Navy. But after December 7th, they did not worry that they would go to prison. Okay, yeah. partly because even, probably even though the, you know, the guy who made that ruling had changed his mind, but even if he hadn't, everyone else had changed their mind. So it's possible uh, when people are good and scared, uh, what, the word is asabia? It's perfectly possible for people to cooperate in ways you wouldn't. I mean, I can imagine, again, I have a wild imagination, but I can imagine if there was this kind of threat, by the way, particularly you know, not least because it's concentrated on old people. And they uh, run the country. You may have noticed, yes, <laughs> that, you know, Trump and Nancy Pelosi are there shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would probably not do well. I, she gets, I certainly hope she doesn't get it, but I'm guessing her survival rate is not 3% if she gets this virus. I, again, I certainly hope she does not get it, just to be clear. Not, you know, anybody who's 80 and has six health problems, I mean, yes, uh, lots of people. But and right now, I think more than many other times in American history, we're pretty close to a gerontocracy, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. That that's a that's a good point. Self-interest will push our ruling class to. to now well, the danger is that they're not afraid. They're not good at thinking exponentially, and we're not that afraid. Much is true. We, so we have to be. There has to be a million American dead before people are afraid. At which point, well, it's so everywhere. part of the job of this podcast is to scare old people at least moderately, into thinking, I should keep tabs on this. How's that? Yeah. That's, that's a reasonable yeah, goal. Because as I said, you know, if they get control of it, and, you know, I just looked, you know, having recently expanded the part of China on lockdown by a factor of about nine doesn't make me reassured that they're really in control. And that, that's a huge point. I mean, that what China is just taking these – over extremely drastic actions. They're, as you said, they're really harming their economy. They're doing things that the people really don't like, and they probably are doing this unless they're really scared. I that's my impression. But it would actually an interesting line of analysis would be if somebody can monitor very closely exactly what they're doing, uh, and see what that implies in terms of what they think the size of the problem is. That may have answers that are at least somewhat more pessimistic than what they're saying.
Now, what about for the for individuals? Is it worth it to stockpile food and toilet paper? I mean, there's apparently been runs of toilet paper in Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, masks, if you can get them, is that is if that worth it? If you could figure out a way so that you could, I mean, like you know, here's the conservative strategy, small C. If you can figure a way that you can, without, let's say, again, this is for strategy one, without much messing up your career. Mm-hmm. And your way of making a living or burning up all your assets, if you can figure a way to spend quite a bit of time streaming yeah, and having uh, uh, maybe ordering out or maybe you have a lot of stuff uh, canned and, and, and you're fixing things at home, you're eating at home basically, uh, it might not be a bad idea. No, wait, uh, is it worth starting well, that now? To, to be, well, to, be, to get ready to be able to it. Couldn't be a terrible idea, particularly, again, with a small C conservative strategy saying, look, it's something like it's like I actually eat that once in a while. Anyhow, if worse comes to worse, I'll be eating, you know, whatever that thing that I bought a bunch of cans of stretched out over the next two or three years. And I may feel a little silly, but I won't. You know, food is not that expensive. I mean, you could easily have enough food for one person for a year for what a thousand two thousand bucks i mean it depends upon how fancy you're trying to get but it's perfectly possible so uh, there is a reasonable to... amount of food to store i mean a um, week a month a year that's a lot i think it'd be talking a year because i don't know how long this might take if it's really serious it's an sometime like that so what that's pretty extreme so are you you're suggesting that our, if our listeners can afford it without too much of a burden they should stockpile a year of food for their family if uh, something that preserves, ideally something that they actually would eat some of the time anyhow, so it would eventually it would actually be used eventually one way or the other. Right. Yeah, like I That's, love Nutribars. I have one a day. I could just – they probably keep for a thousand years. Just get a whole I'm bunch. I'm sure they and... haven't already been kept. <laughs> By the way, I'm not sure about this, but I'm thinking having the option to – you know, here's a nice way of putting it. Having the option to go streaming. Okay, now be useful. If streaming is going to still work, though, probably like getting deliveries from Amazon will still work, right? Uh, well, maybe. I mean, for example, one thing like if one thing we're not talking about because this is, you know, some people are very concerned about this. I am only moderately concerned about it, which is, you know, tremendous amounts of industrial stuff is now built in China. It, yeah, it's got to be. It's interfering with production. It's got to be right now. All kinds of things are being interfered with. And you can expect that at some point you're not going to be able to get certain parts, maybe only for a while. But, you know, something like that seems likely. Now, one of the background facts that was true in the United States in 1918 and is true today is we are self-sufficient in food. I mean, for example. Not not just self-sufficient. We produce far more than we eat ourselves. We're the world's powerhouse in food. Probably four times. We've, we have Saudi Arabia running out of oil if they can't import it. That's kind of us running out of food probably, if we can't import it level. You know, it's not going to happen. Agriculture in the United States probably feeds a billion and a half people, something and like that. And we're not even trying. There's so much more land we could be growing stuff on. We could have far more people being farmers. This is. I don't think – none of this means you have to eat any more, except <laughs> right. if you had a regional place, which is – they said we're having trouble getting imports. Yeah. Then, you know, I said like if Singapore – if we – if if Lee Kuan Yew or his son had been as paranoid as more than I ever have been, but you know they'd thought about this in the abstract and prepared just in case something was going to happen, 
they would be happy now. I mean, it wouldn't a it's not that expensive and b it's nice. It's nice to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I doubt if that was the case. But the point is, Singapore is not self-sufficient food. They would have to do something. Uh, I, by the way, another thing I would advocate strongly is since we are this food, big food exporter, that to, although thinking about it very carefully and trying to do everything you can possibly do to minimize uh, infection risk, it would be a very, very good thing to continue basic food exports because there's parts of the world that wouldn't make it if we cut them off. Uh, yeah, that's, that's So true. I don't want to do it. Uh, now, mind you, if we had a different kind of plague, uh, you know, since as a – I have read enough classic science fiction to know all the kinds. <laughs> like, for example, this is not a zombie plague, which takes half of the excitement out of it. Uh, but there are, there have been a few stories in which there's something that greatly damages major crops. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is, you know, just as dangerous as something, you know, if if the wheat, like if in the Middle Ages you your wheat harvest failed, you were probably going to starve. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. People talk a lot about uh, regular human epidemics, but the crop epidemics, the crop pests, the things which were sometimes very severe, probably would have similar effects. I mean, if everybody's healthy, but there's nothing to eat. Yeah, the Irish potato famine. I mean, that there's was... one, but I think there were others that have. And the thing is, they aren't as spectacular because the trouble gets spread out over the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there have been... Uh, and some of these may have been very significant. Uh, uh, you know, by the way, something that I never heard that did happen, that, you know, what if there had been some pathogen from the old world that devastated corn? That would have been, you know, utterly horrible for many of the American Indians. Oh, I have yeah. never heard of this happening, but I wonder. Now, uh, what are the odds that there'll be other opportunistic infections that take hold that it won't be just the coronavirus, but the people who are sick with it, does it make you more likely to spread other viruses? I don't know what's so much worried about other viruses. Is The typical thing that happens with this sort of thing is once your lungs are messed up, you also get bacterial infections. Now, they, can, they make things worse, but we have lots of tools for dealing with it. I don't think – I mean, I don't think it's qualitative – in the hospital, we definitely have ways of dealing with them, and maybe even outside. We have lots of antibiotics. Uh, you know, there are some increases in resistance, but there are ways around that. I, mean, I think that's another situation we're much better off than 1918. Uh, secondary infections were an important part, it looks like, of, of, the, of the deaths in 1918. And today, although, you know, it's still a problem, we're ever so much better at dealing with them. So uh, – I mean, I'm not worried about some sort of global antibiotic shortage. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we have plenty of stuff, plenty of different kinds of stuff. I think, uh, you know, I don't think that's – I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that if you didn't get this, you wouldn't have to worry about – well, like here's one thing people can do, and this is simple, and it won't do any harm. Uh, there are vaccines against uh, a number of uh, strains of the – you know, there's a particular organism that causes most kinds of – Pneumonia. I mean, mm-hmm. lobar pneumonia. God, what's the name of it? Pneumococcus? Mm-hmm. At any rate, there are certain strains that are responsible for the majority of, uh, of such serious infections, and there is a vaccine for them. They recommend giving that vaccine to people over 60. Oh, so we could call the it. vaccine is there. Uh, uh, and, for example, if you were already over 60 and you were already recommended to take it and you hadn't taken it, yeah. It might be a good idea to take it. 
because this would decrease your chance of complications getting you at least some. Right. I mean, you know, there's a million. Would it be worth it for someone under 60 to call their doctor and say, hey, can you give this <clears> to me? I don't think it'd do any harm to ask. I don't know enough. Again, I'm not an expert on this. I know it is recommended typically for people over 60, and mm -hmm. I know not everybody takes it. So, I mean, it seems to me that we'd almost automatically be ahead, particularly with this, you know, large, vague, but possibly bad possibility in front of us to at least be more, you know, more protected against secondary infections. Yeah. Uh, about people who are 50, I don't know what the recommendations are. I would that I mean, I could guess what they're probably saying. Are there any side effects? If there are no side effects, you'd probably give it to everybody. If yeah. there are a few side effects, you might wait until the relative gain and risk is more favorable, which would probably be true past 60. I don't know enough about it. But, you know, you could ask your doctor or you could look it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it, what I don't doing. think that would do any harm. Uh, and by the way, if nothing happened and all we had done was nudge the inoculation level from whatever it is to 10% higher, we'd be slightly better off. So, you know, this is not a uh, – I don't think I'm suggesting anything very radical. And, of uh, course, everyone should probably get a flu vaccine, not – right? It won't protect against the coronavirus, but, you know, if you're not sure what you have in an, an emergency. But there's actually some suspicion. See, when you get the flu, some of the things you're feeling – are actually the side effects of your immune system being fully activated. Uh, like a lot of the fluish syndromes are things that if you give somebody interferon, they'll feel them. Uh -huh. Okay. And I need to look this up, but I've actually heard people claim that it's hard to catch a different viral disease if you already have the flu. <sighs> Whoa. So if the flu has a much lower death rate, you might Oh, it want does. To... It's like a tenth of a percent. So you might want to you get that deliberately. No way to keep having the flu indefinitely. You get over it. So ah, unless darn. you just carry your little flu capsule and swallow it, just as the, as the. Uh, by the way, I don't even know if this works, but there, but I have heard it that if you're in the like basically your immune system is highly activated in the middle of the flu, that it's hard to catch something else at the same time. Okay. Something else. Something else viral. So don't get a flu vaccine if you are, haven't already had it. <laughs> no, I probably you should, but. Uh, but actually, there are occasionally antagonisms between different diseases, and nobody – once or twice people made successful use of this, but it's never been explored very much. Uh, it was noticed a long time ago that in places where you had a lot of malaria, you didn't have much syphilis. And somebody developed a treatment for syphilis based on giving them malaria, and it worked. Oh. No, it didn't work perfectly because sometimes you'd – Part of it was this: there was a treatment for malaria at the time, which was quinine. Yeah. So the advantage was a fair amount of the time it worked, and a fair amount of the time they could even cure the malaria. And even if they didn't cure the malaria, it only killed you some of the time, and it's much more respectable to have malaria than syphilis. So, <laughs> you know, there were two: you you could either be well, or you could be respectable, or you could be dead and respectable. The, uh, uh, but it actually turned into a problem because they kept. They had a particular strain of malaria, and they would infect the next person by taking it from the last person they treated. And it turned out this was selecting for greater parasite count. You see, it turns out if you have uh, a lot of diseases, the how virulent they get is limited because if they put you in bed all the time, you tend not to spread it. Right. And by the way, we might have uh, 
and that was happening, but in the wrong direction because you could be in your bed and and you were it was more infectious the higher the parasite count, and so that the malaria strain they were using was getting more dangerous as they went along. But the other reason that the people, even though the guy who developed this got the Nobel Prize. Uh, it never got pushed much, partly because it's you know has too many side effects, and the other reason is because he was a Nazi and nobody even liked talking about him. So uh, Werner Jarek, uh, I mean he was a Nazi later. This was done before. This was done in the twenties mm-hmm. or something. But uh, <coughs> at any rate, uh, oh, th- that there is another wild card. Uh, it is the case that many very common viral diseases are not terribly serious, at least in the short run, because uh, if they knocked you on your back, they would get spread less. Right. Uh, and so there is sometimes a tendency for virulence to get lower uh, with time. There is also times, by the way, in which there, were, there are times in which virulence gets higher. It depends on the situation. Uh, like the 1918 flu, apparently virulence got higher. They talk about the second wave, and it was much deadlier. The first one was kind of close to a normal flu, but they believe it was related because people who had that first wave, which was not very dangerous, were apparently immune to the second wave. I mean, so it, it would mean that even if there's a mutation, it's not, it hasn't changed very much. Immunities against it are still useful, but it has changed in a way that makes it more dangerous. Uh, Will there be any such evolution happening one way or the other with this coronavirus? Who knows? Uh-huh. I, I don't think it's anything. It's something to watch for. I don't think it's anything. I don't. Uh, you could actually, in principle, shape this. Possibly, if uh, you you know you you let lots of mildly sick people loose and and then you know locked all the really sick people in a pyramid or something so they could never transmit it. Uh, uh, but I think it's I think it's basically unpredictable. Well, uh, so one possible outcome I, I've read is this could become prevalent. This could be like the flu in terms of it comes back every year. Well, the important so, thing is if it if it's like the flu in its virulence, then it doesn't matter very much. But if it still has a much higher death rate than flu, which currently it does, then that would be bad. Yeah. I don't know, uh, but uh, but I have, well, I have some predictions. Like let's. As I said, if if you know social intervention, you know s- slowing down people running into each other, uh, socially decreasing the effective or not, uh, you know if you have to do as much as the Chinese to do it, it's going to be. I don't actually expect to see it, even if it would be the right answer. Yeah. I mean, I, remember we're talking about for a while until you have other ways of dealing with it. Yeah, most countries either wouldn't do it or wouldn't be capable of doing it. They don't have the state capacity, as you said before. Uh, well, I don't think we have the state capacity, but I would be. I could. But if it worked, and and and, and turned out to be the right answer, i.e., other countries have big trouble, we have smaller trouble. I mean, that'd be good. But uh, I, I mean, the whole spirit of the time is against decisive uh, logical action. It just is. I mean, people would spend more time worrying. But but what if you only dec- what if you decreased it by the risk by 90% in this group, but only 80% in that other group? Wouldn't that be unfair? Uh, I said, but it's a whole lot better than yeah, right. Now, by the way, if you had a situation like that's one of the criticisms people would have of past um, uh, attempts at uh, quarantine and stuff. Like bubonic plague showed up in um, around 1900 in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and originally it was concentrated among the, in the Chinese sector of the town, and I would guess it probably came from China. There was bubonic plague running around China in periods close to this. Uh, and people said, well, it's furthering prejudice against Chinese, and I said, probably is. Oh, that's happened. There have been colleges where students have criticized the announcements for being anti-Chinese because the college will announce, oh, some Chinese students might have it and they're self-isolating. And the student's like, no, you're being racist by saying that. So that's well, the criteria. Well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully those people will catch this and die. Uh, no, not, not really. Not. All right. Be terribly <laughs> mutilated. All right. The, uh, be inconvenienced look, for a few weeks, but then be fine. How about that? Go, th go through incredible pain with no lasting consequences except that it makes oh. them smarter <sighs> how's that uh right, well i'd be willing to do that for that trade-off but so i could accept that uh, but, um... but these people are crazy anyhow the reactions back then were most everybody's crazy but yeah well but that can vary from time to time in 1900 the governor of california you see officially they denied that there was bubonic plague because they thought it was bad for business. By the way, that's a major factor in all of this, which we haven't been emphasizing enough. That, like, let's suppose that somebody said, uh, we are pretty confident we can do X and it'll be terrible for the economy in the short run, but it'll save 2 million people. Yeah. For example. Uh, I think we have all sorts of people who'd be against it. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you don't know if it's going to be you or not, and a lot of people dying is going to be bad for our economy. So, well, but oh, I mean, I could argue that. I mean, if you kill the average seventy-year-old person, then you know the country's no, probably richer. But the spread out. I mean, yes. Uh, it's the stock market, though. We say is doing really well. Now, part of that could be his expectations that the Federal Reserve Board will do things with monetary policy. So it's just a nominal doing well, not a real. Probably. But. They don't understand this as well as you and I do, and we don't understand it as well as we need to. I've got to believe there are people at Goldman Sachs who understand it far better than we do. I don't. Well. Uh... I don't. Now, the only way that could be true if they had access to accurate sources of information, I don't. I could conceive it. I don't think it's true right now. But in terms of like – They certainly have access to better information about China than we do. I'm not so sure of that. I mean, they might. I can imagine it, but they, uh, I mean, I probably I've run, have access to better information about China than the CIA I've has. I've run into <laughs> people of higher levels of influence than me. I, you know, like the mailman, the garbage. At any rate, mm -hmm. and I, and they don't impress me as having, you know, they're not, you know, lightning calculators or anything. They don't know shit. <sighs> but there are some people who do know a lot and. All right, name one person famous in the United States government or the commentariat or uh, anybody influential you think knows more about this than I do. Um, I, I mean, I don't know names, but I'm pretty sure there's organizations where there'd be people who know more just because. That's... Somebody like the janitor, maybe yeah, like the analysts. I think they can. I All mean, right. Somebody like Goldman Sachs can call on top people. Who are the people? In the CIA. Yeah, it's a government agency. Even if they know things, they don't have incentives to act on it. Who were the people in the CIA and the DIA who knew more about the Iraqi weapons programs than I did? Uh, no, there probably were people they just weren't listened to. Not many, actually. But by the way, you're right. They weren't listened to. But they didn't know more than I did. They knew about as much. Uh, the uh, 
But if we're talking about decision makers, which is mainly what we have to think about, no, there aren't any. But in financial markets, you have an incentive to get that this thing right. So. You'd think. Uh, uh, I wonder. I mean, let's put this way. I've never seen any sign of, of this. I don't think it's true. Uh, I would actually be kind of reassuring if it were true. But I have certainly talked to many people who have done like things like technical briefing. I mean, we're talking, for example, particularly the armed forces where I know more people who interacted with them. And the usual argument says I've, they've never talked to anybody higher than a one star who knew anything at all. <sighs> well, one test is if you go to prediction markets for the election and they're, you know, they, they have Bloomberg, for example, right now ahead of Elizabeth Warren in terms of chance of winning. They have Trump that's at about 60, 60%. They're not saying, you know, I think that's probably better than uh, what, the, what political commentators are saying. Uh, maybe. Uh, but, I mean, do I think they're operating from, uh, you know, a fairly deep knowledge of infectious disease, evolution of infectious disease, fairly deep knowledge of his, history of epidemics and stuff? Nope, I don't. Um, I think they're probably talking to people who have that. There aren't many. There's, but you're Goldman Sachs. You you find the ones. The one time I was at a meeting once where I actually gave a talk to uh, the Council of Institutional Investors, and there was a guy of Goldman Sachs. And as I remember, he was touting a bunch of bonds that were backed by slave laborers in Chinese uh, camps. I thought it was hysterically funny, uh, but it didn't impress me that, to make him that he was uh, particularly wise. Uh, he was a salesman. They've got salespeople. They've got people who are really good at math. I mean, it could be. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. Uh, but uh, uh, my general rule, which I have found few exceptions to, is, uh, you know, the inner party, the secret group in the inside of these things that really knows what's going on. I don't think there is one. <sighs> well, what about Bill Gates? I mean, he, you know, he does a lot with infectious diseases. <sighs> don't you think he probably right now has a better understanding of this than you do he has, certainly has a lot of people to work of for course him. not really no not at all no i don't believe that for a second right. although i do believe if he was really determined to and was willing to spend even a teeny bit of money he could easily get spun up on it but it's unlikely that he has uh also he has one big anchor that i don't <laughs> i know the answer but tell our listeners well, you see, for example, Gates has done a lot of – the Gates Foundation has put a lot of money into, for example, uh, educational – attempts at an educational improvement. Yes. Uh, none of them have worked. Now, I will give Gates credit. He has examined closely the practical outcomes, and at the end of the story, he admits they didn't work. Yeah, that's that kind of, of impressive. Worked. Not many people are able to do yes, that. Yes, but I can do all of the same things with – at like when he said, we're going to try to make sure all these teachers have various kinds of certificates and stuff that are recommended, you know, they're getting their masters, this and that. What a, mm -hmm. what effect did that have on how the kids did? It didn't have any effect at all. Uh, I could have told him that for less than $500 million. <sighs> and my secret was that I would never listen to his wife. <sighs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm sure he's a lovely person, but doesn't. I'm sure she is, but I'm <laughs> she's generally mistaken in these things. Uh, but uh, do I think that – do I think Bill Gates is like full of secret you know, sharpness on things like this? I said, I've never seen any sign of it. I think he's mathematically strong, which is unusual mm -hmm. for a famous person. Uh, but no. Do I think this? No, I don't. Uh, uh, I mean 
do I think this of uh, Francis Collins, who's heads NIH? No. Do I think that of Anthony Fauci, who's actually done a lot of real work in, uh, on AIDS and so forth? Do I think that he probably has a better understanding of epidemiology than I do? I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I think it's unlikely. All right. How about the prime minister of Singapore right now? I bet he is very up on this and has a very realistic understanding, and he seems like a extraordinarily it, gifted he's person. He's more likely than any of the people you've mentioned so far. But even so, he mostly has to do other things. Yeah, but he and probably – spent years looking at things like this. Okay? Right. I have, actually. I've published in everything. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah uh, – yeah, I think that, but that's only because, well, I mean, on a certain other epidemic, I fairly early came to the conclusion it was going to be a serious problem well before the general medical establishment. And which epidemic was this? This was AIDS. Okay. Yeah. And, all right, so just, we should perhaps wrap this up. So what do you think, what's your mean outcome for this, or, or need and mode so outcomes? Much, there's so much uncertainty. I think that the surprise-free outcome is that it is infectious enough that it will be a problem in many other places besides China. But, I mean, I can't predict. It's too hard to say. Will we come up with something useful to treat it? I think it's very unpredictable, although I'm not terribly optimistic in the short run. Mm. Uh, I mean, there are other questions. I just don't feel – I feel pessimistic, but I don't know enough to feel – very certain. Like, are the social control things the Chinese doing, are they enough to get R not below one? Judging from the fact they've had to extend them to much larger parts of the country, that suggests that maybe, maybe they didn't do them early enough. I'm not sure. Also, I'm not sure how sustainable they are. If they shut down business in the whole country, yeah. how is that going to work for very long? Uh, I mean, the last number I heard was 400 million people in the areas that were under this, these rules. <coughs> is, but, is there much hope for places, like, say Thailand, where there are some infected people and they're not going to, they don't have the capacity to do what China's doing? If, if they have similar, uh, if the vulnerability is similar, if they are not as similar, if they're, you know, if, if there, are, there are no significant genetic differences, and that would be the surprise-free prediction that it infects people. Particularly, maybe the ties aren't even that different from the Chinese. Uh, it probably would be a similar size problem. I don't know. Uh, there are only a few countries that, I mean, I don't know that these Chinese crackdown things are enough to do the job. And I think a lot of other countries would have great difficulty doing them. Like, I could see it happening in Japan. Yeah. I think the, Jap the Japanese uh, could be, this, they, they could, it, it might be possible. Uh, it might happen in Vietnam. That's called. By the way, we haven't heard of any cases yet in North Korea. Maybe they have the answer. No, they shut yeah. the border, but who knows what. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I would say that other countries in East Asia, you know, like, you know, we can, there's, like Singapore, it's probably closer to being, you probably have a fair chance of seeing truthfully what was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. Uh I even know a person or two in Singapore. I should write to them and see what they think is going on. Uh, but uh, again, I don't know. I mean, the, the unknowns like how do heat and humidity affect transmission? If they make a lot, if they really get in the way, that's a good thing. Uh, 
hey, it means hey, everybody can run their their humidifiers. <laughs> I mean, it might help. I'm, you know, uh, or certainly schools should be doing that. Maybe if they had them, which they don't. Uh, you could go out and buy them. They probably could, uh, we, and then we'd run out by you know tomorrow. But we could make more. We'll just order some from China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, there's an awful lot of unknowns, but I. I think it would be interesting, you know, for the people in positions of responsibility to be looking for ways to try to reduce those unknowns to see exactly how much of a problem it is. And if necessary, you might have to do stuff comparable to what's China doing if you wanted to cause the number of people infected to be small. I mean, or rather the number of people hurt. Or By the way, we don't even know. Another thing that probably nobody knows is like we know that death has long-term consequences. You're you're mm -hmm. kind of messed up. But what if some of these people who survive end up with emphysema or something? There may be serious long-term consequences even in survivors. I have no idea. But you know that if you're having lots of lung damage, that isn't a crazy possibility. That would be, I mean, horrible if that if a third of people get it and most of them have long-term. Well, I don't problems. think most of them are that sick. But you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, like saying we know the guy's not dead. That's good. But... That would explain in part why China is taking such drastic action if they figured out survivors have problems as well. Uh, there are things that they could have strong intimations of. That I mean, I don't know all their motives for not. I mean, for not telling the truth. But it's hard to think of times when people haven't had some such motives. Uh, I mean, like, what if there is a problem? such that some of their errors in the early phases greatly exacerbated it. Yeah. That's probably at least partly true. It says that you know their response to certain people talking about this was to tell them to shut up. But there might be more to it. And if there is more to it, one thing they have to worry is you know there's disaster and then there's being blamed for disaster. <laughs> uh, well, but that's the yeah. thing governments no, no, you're right. have to worry about. I, do, I mean, for all I know, my guess is it's something that happened because stuff happens. It has nothing particular to do, you know, no particular, nobody deliberately created it. That's my guess my but, that I'm yeah. fairly confident about because I don't think we know enough to do stuff like this very well. But Well, could, it, could people have been studying the virus and it escaped from a lab? There's certainly been a lot of accidents in labs throughout the world where – It's not impossible. It's not impossible. But I mean, the, the, this province where it broke I, out in China, they, they have like the one level four biosafety lab or something. I, I have heard that. I don't know enough to be sure about that. Yeah, that's but right. I, it, could, it could be false. I've just read that. In the internet. But I, I wonder, uh, you know, what are possible things that could have happened if the truth come out, they look bad. We know there's at least some of that and that they told people to shut up early on. Yeah. Uh, by the way, yes, that would have been the best time to do something. Uh, you know, when you have something like this, if you were quick on the draw. By the way, practically, that's probably only possible if it's happened before mm -hmm. or if it's happened somewhere else and so you got some sort of forewarning. I mean, for example, let's suppose one guy had come in a canoe to American Samoa violating that uh, block self-blockade, and then they had immediately had one guy whisk him into a room, and they both sat in that room for the next – three months yeah you know if decisive action when there's very few people involved might have sealed it off okay but you know i mean the chinese government could be worried about looking bad by the way it's also possible to look bad when it's not your fault yeah well they're losing the mandate of heaven if this 
does it. Like it's doing a lot of damage. I have always more. gotten the impression that the uh, uh, the Chinese felt they needed to have rapid economic growth, not just because it's fun and gives you more money and everything, because they didn't think the average people in the country liked them that much uh, mm-hmm. and that they needed to perform. Uh, and, you know, this could be part of, you know, maybe Trump felt we actually need an economic growth. Other people said, oh, it's optional. Uh, but uh, so, you know, having a lot of people hate you could make for better government. Uh, think about it. At any rate, I'd uh, – Oh, before I, I forget, on an individual yes. level, do masks and gloves when you go out, is that worth – does that help much? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I've heard some people think they're worried about like touching some surface. Somebody else is – maybe a major source of, of how it spread. I don't know enough to say. Uh, I, what I, I saw one a couple of clips where they had – somebody had bought like a sort of costume you might have for Halloween that covered – like you're dressed as a dinosaur and it covers your entire I've, body. I've seen, yeah, people – Because those were available. You know, yeah. more, more complicated official hazmat suits are all, all – all Or people wearing fit. garbage bags and they're carrying their kid in a garbage bag. So. Well, that's probably a lot more practical. I, yeah. It's not nearly as funny as being dressed as a dinosaur. I like the dinosaur. Uh I don't know. I know that uh, – What's the thing you can throw out because I imagine you – That could be – Oh, there, there, was, there was another factor which could be played a part in all of this is at least in the past, the Chinese had probably an inordinate respect for old people. I don't know if that's true anymore, although uh, – but you know, if it is, they may be said, oh, it's important. Maybe they're saying it's even more important we save these all these old people because you know we're Chinese and we believe in that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. The uh, but uh, anyhow, I think there are some things we will be able to get a better handle on with the passage of time. Like if this thing has spread to other parts of China and to the point where it's growing is you know threatening to turn into a big problem, we'll probably know a lot more about that fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, It'll get to the point. It'll be clearly visible. Uh, and at some point, China's gonna be like, "Can you give us food?" Or you know, we they'll start. They'll need to start planning one thing. So I would, to the extent possible, without you know, you know, giving away things we absolutely need ourselves. I would certainly be in favor of all kinds of help. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some of it sounds hard to come up with super effective help. Uh, but food is one we definitely could do. Well, I don't think they're actually short, although I think the problem may be in some of these lockdown places, its delivery is greatly interrupted. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. I don't – I guess we could always offer to fly lots of helicopters and drop turkeys on people. Too uh, bad. In a few years, we'll probably have drone – like we'll have Amazon drone services and that – There's some really of them in China. Good. Maybe they could be a, a useful thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you could make enough to do some useful things. Uh, That's a reason to speed up drone deliveries. If, I don't know how close Amazon is, but. Well, I think they've been experimenting with it, but I don't know yeah. anything about whether they have a large number of Again, such. Yeah, they're probably made in China, so. Uh, but, uh... You know, Amazon uses a lot of robots in its warehouses. Yeah. I suppose there's no way you could reprogram them to do something useful in some other situation. I doubt if they could, but just, you know. Uh, wondering aloud there for a minute right. if they could, you know, carry bed pounds around a hospital or something. You know, probably not. But uh, the uh, 
Yeah, the nosocomial transmission, the stuff in the hospitals, there's one report out on this, you know, that looks, looks likely to be a fairly reasonable one. It was in Journal of the American Medical Association, and apparently it was a big, big problem. Lots of people in the hospital who had not already had it were catching it. Uh, I don't know a simple way around this. Uh, I guess that you work in a hospital, you probably find a place other to sleep. I mean, you don't go home to your family. Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, hospitals become like roach motels. You know, you check in, but you don't check out. Uh, at least not till everybody's well, which is um, yeah. another thing. Yeah. We may learn something from watching this cruise ship. I doubt if, you know, dictatorial governments are filtering every bit of information out of the cruise ship. Uh, we may learn something. Uh, uh, evidently, it's like the second, you know, there's something funny about this. Supposedly, it's the second largest outbreak outside of China. It's one ship. I think there's other places where we just don't haven't heard, but I could be wrong. Uh, like, you know, there are lots of Chinese working in various places in Africa. Yeah, is, yeah, they're building a lot of infrastructure there. And is there, has there been transmission in Africa? Well, I haven't heard of it yet. Or I, I just I was watching a, a YouTube video, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it was about the Ebola outbreak in, in Africa, and the health officials thought they had beaten it until a whole bunch of new cases broke out. And the problem was a lot of Africans were, they didn't trust the health officials. So even though they were supposed to report when they were sick, they weren't doing it. And, you know, you don't, you don't have great trust of the government if you're in Africa for very reasonable reasons. There's no reason to have great trust of yeah. the government. They're uh, more likely to come and take your stuff than they are to help you. So then you see people who are, you know, very different from you in these plastic suits Yes, well, it's kind of like Washington. I mean, yeah, uh, there were, are there are many capital cities that started out as a major city that did something before they became the capital, but others, mm. like you know, Chicago was a city that did things, mm. uh, at least in the past. Uh, and if we made a capital, it wouldn't have been over, wouldn't have been pure government. But Washington is, you know, there's not a whole lot of steel produced in Washington or anything else that I can think of. Uh, uh, and most African capitals are kind of like that. Uh, they don't get a whole lot done. They just graft some of the money produced by other things in the country. Yeah, the same strategy for most citizens is to avoid all contact with government. Now, they were mistaken in this one case, but given their knowledge, they were behaving quite rationally. Given Well, you know, China has had wild ups and downs. You know, within the memory of yeah. man, they've had governments that were the same government, you know, in a sense, has been sometimes fairly effective and pro-business, sometimes, you know, crazy to the point that their even their ideological allies were afraid of them. You know, the Russians were talking about nuking China. They thought now was such a nut. Yeah. Uh, then and or closing down all the universities or, you know, causing mass famines. Like when I was a kid, the United States was less crazy than China. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I guess this is sort of a t oh, by the way, various people are saying, well, you know, we wouldn't have made the same mistakes the Chinese made. I am not sure about that. I also think there are some things they did right we would not have done right. Like, for example, trying to clamp down and drop the R naught, it could be the best try, even if it doesn't work. I don't think we would have done it. Yeah. I think we might do it if we see scary things. If, if we have basically warning in advance, if we see warnings elsewhere, yes. but I, 
I think we would be more less we less likely to do it than there, even if it's the right answer. Uh, but I guess the message of this podcast is just in case any policy listeners are listening, like be prepared to take drastic action to greatly lower or not if this think very hard about it. I mean, yeah, this the, is the, the this things is we're just, talking about. You, you could have a whole other podcast just talking about economic side effects. Of yeah, this is potentially World huge. War. This is potentially World War II level bad. And you think of all the awful things we did to win World War II, that we have to be maybe that ruthless. Well, I don't think we're going to have to bomb Hamburg. We have uh, to do different things, yes. It's... Uh, I think that uh, – uh, and by the way, the United States uh, had it far easier than most of the other players. You know, If you want to talk about drastic, talk about what the Soviet Union did to win World War II. Yeah. That's – that's the goal. Probably won't, that that would be a surprise if it is as bad as what the Soviet Union went through in World War II. I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. But uh, I think that, uh, and the other thing is to, you know, to plan ahead so that all the things you do that are costly and unpleasant, that you are also simultaneously working to minimize the length of time that has to be done. Yeah, pursue multiple things. Try, you know, come up with different. There are things that we can't do in six weeks, but we should start now that could be very helpful, you know, like the right amount of effort to put in a vaccine. Like if we put a lot of effort into trying to do multiple approaches to developing vaccines uh, and then this thing turned out to be not be as big as we thought, I'd, I don't think that would be the that would not be a very serious mistake. What worries me is companies will think if we come up with a vaccine for this, we'll be pressured to give it away for free and we'll be called horror. If we come, we're the only ones who come up with a cure and we charge a modest amount for it, we'll be told we're horrible, awful people for trying to profit off this. So we're better off working on cures for baldness or we can charge anything we want. Uh, I mean, fortunately, those companies don't ever have to worry about getting sick. I mean, you'd think that, you know, the people involved would say, but then again, it could happen to me. Uh, well, that's... maybe, maybe that, maybe they're going to put some effort in because of that. But we probably have horrible incentives <sighs> in place, unless you know we work out something in advance. So that's something else I would urge policymakers to to do. Are probably not going to pay attention. Well, you know, there are people give a have lot of money for people doing this. Bounties. Uh, yeah, or prizes. Prizes. Yeah, prizes. You know, billion uh, dollars to whoever. That's something okay. the Gates Foundation can Here's... do. So we should uh, create really good incentives. Um, some, of course, would be praised, but others, you know, it's going to be a lot of money, and it's worth spending several billion dollars on this. Um, so you know, if, we could do prizes. We can pay them directly to do the research. We can find anybody who has a chance of getting it done who can can use that money. I mean, you have to, you you know, don't go out of your way to look for a grifter because they happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but if you have you people know, who have their job is they make vaccines and they're saying, yeah, we have a different approach or we think we can get it done in two thirds of the time. These other guys, I try them all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, uh, uh, but, and I, 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 I'd, I'd act as if the worst case was likely in making those prep, you know, defensive decisions right now. I, I don't think we're quite to the point where we can start, Although, you know, the Chinese have some reason for doing all this. I, it looks to, like it's more extreme than, than fits with exactly what we've heard. Yeah. Or maybe I'm not understanding perfectly what they've heard. They probably know something about how many people they've turned away from hospitals. I don't. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's – I guess we should 
Yeah, it's been over two hours, so okay, that's fine. Let's let's wrap this up. So I think this we is, had a... So thank you, Greg. So uh, the conclusion is we should be very afraid. Well, thank you for listening to the Future Strategist. If you like this episode, please consider upvoting this uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also have a Facebook group called Future Strategist. Uh, thanks very much, and be safe and wash your hands. Goodbye. <laughs>